This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. So we're going to try something a little different today and chat with not one, but two fabulous creative human beings who, between them, have over 50 Broadway shows, dozens of TV and film credits, a nomination for an Emmy, a Grammy, a Drama Desk Award. Their work has been featured at Hartford Stage, City Center, Boston Pops, Tanglewood Festival Chorus, the BBC Concert Orchestra, the Kennedy Center Honors, Essential Voices USA, and Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Together, they've created and raised two beautiful sons. And somewhere along the way, there's a Harvard biology degree in there. (laughs) It's my great pleasure to welcome Paula Leggett-Chase and David Chase. Welcome, Paula and David. Hi, thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> it's so great to see you. I really, I have to ask right off the top, was it really a Harvard biology degree? As far as I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I left for college having no knowledge of what a life in theater or music would be like and having no expectation that that was something you could spend your life doing. Um, and biology seemed to be the the best sort of combination of my interests at the time um, and uh, the possibility of like covering all the pre-med requirements. Wow. And I still love biology. I still love all of, you know, it's, and it's not that different from what I do. It's all about taxonomy and organization and and how things interrelate and interact. It's just, instead of doing it with, uh, with things in the natural world, I do it with bits of music. That is super interesting. When did you start music? Like, when did music come into your life? Oh, well, there was always music. My mother grew up playing piano and clarinet in high school marching band. And she uh, was a fairly accomplished or is a fairly accomplished pianist, especially in her high school years. She uh, won the West Virginia Chopin Championship. Um, but she never really pursued it that much beyond that. My dad played in marching band as well. But my dad's mom was a self-taught pianist who became her church pianist and remained so for about 35 years on a you know small little church on a mountaintop. And so even in this tiny farmer's house that my grandparents had, there was an old pump organ. So I grew up mostly with hymns and with mm. choral singing. I think we probably had a radio in our house. And it wasn't like anybody said, no, you can't listen to anything else. It's just... You know, we grew up taking piano lessons and singing in choirs. I hated every second of piano lessons, or at least the practicing. So after about four and a half, five years of piano lessons, I quit. And so the last real music lesson I had was probably eighth grade. No kidding. So how did music come back into your life? You mentioned, I thought I heard you say that you never really considered it as a potential viable career. Is that right? And and Well, I I think the the better way to say it is that it never seemed, I didn't know anybody who did it for a living other than piano teachers. So it wasn't that I didn't consider it a viable career so much as I wasn't even aware that it could be a career. I mostly performed on stage in high school and into college. By Towards the end of college, I started doing at Harvard, the Hasty Pudding Show. Actually, I did all four years. 
um, and ended up writing the music and lyrics for, for three years of that. And I was never interested in writing music as a composer. I was always interested in, again, the biological side of it, which is how do you create something which sounds like this other song or this style, or how do you define the elements of style? How do you sort of make something that draws from different sources and create something new? There was an advisor who was the first person, Peter Mansfield, that I had ever met who actually was working as a professional musician. And I said, oh, I see people can actually do music for a living. And after college, I still didn't know what I was going to do. After I graduated, I, I played mostly bass and some piano at a, uh, at a summer musical theater place in Maine with the expectation that I'd walk away saying, well, I got that out of my system. <laughs> um, I didn't get it out of my system. <laughs> Clearly. So I had a phenomenal, I mean, this is the power of teachers. My mother, who was a very, very uh, chatty person and a very social person, so she was just driving home from somewhere and saw a kid on the side of the road walking home. And I guess you wouldn't do this now, but she offered him a ride. And of course, she found out everything about him. And what he mostly was talking about was he worked in the theater department and he was so passionate about it and so and so loved uh, the woman who ran the department. My mother came home and said, oh, that sounds really fun. Why don't you go and get involved in that? Mm. Um, and for reasons that I don't entirely know, I did. I went up and I introduced myself to Joan Bettinger and said, I know how to play piano. Can I play piano for something? But the most interesting part was senior year, we did cabaret. We got the script and the score from the rental place. And we realized very quickly that, wait a minute, those songs are different and the script is different and uh -huh. it's not the same. And it was one of the first times that I sort of registered that the sheet music you looked at is, especially for theater, is not what is printed. Um, and I asked, well, can we just take, for example, Don't Tell Mama and just put it in the show? And maybe this time. Um, and of course, now that would be highly illegal, or it still was then. But, um, <laughs> and, but I've told John Kander the story and he enjoyed it. So it's okay. Um, but it was the kind of thing where Joan Bettinger, the theater director, said, sure, go ahead. And so I listened to the recording and I wrote it down and I wrote out parts for all the instruments. I had no idea what I was doing. But the fact that I had a teacher say, yeah, go ahead, do it. And I'm sure she knew it was illegal, um, but she didn't stop me. And I learned more probably from that process than I even realized at the time. Mm. Amazing. And it's so funny because with that reference to biology and, and I'm thinking about you dissecting the score. That's a great analogy. Yes. Um, Brilliant. So your world's really started to come together there. And, and it seems like there's a really a lot of passion around that. The, like oh, yeah. you said, the execution of that kind of, yeah, love it. So Paula, yes. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your background. I grew up in Evansville, Indiana, and my grandfather was a sound man. Hmm. Both my, my grandpa Kyler and, and my dad, Jack Kyler, were sound men, and they ran Kyler's Sound Service. And I spent a lot of time around the Kylers, and they did sound for everything in town. So every show that came through, every... Um, political person, I mean, presidents, 
uh, future presidents. Mm. So all kinds of politicians. Um, I remember my grandpa Kyler talking about Elvis Presley. Well, he, he was, he was lovely and he was such a gentleman and such great manners, you know, but Johnny Cash, he was terrible. And <laughs> tried to open a beer on one of my microphones. And I would listen to all these stories and he would talk about this Russian ballet company and like, ah, they're crippled. It's terrible. If you do that, you'll be crippled. And he would tell me uh, all of these stories. And the more he told me, the more I loved it. And I would go with them sometimes to the Hottie Shrine Circus and sit there ringside and get to do testing. One, two, three, four, testing on the microphones. And so I was around that mm -hmm. and I was very, very active. So my mother put me in dance lessons when I was very small. But the bummer is I didn't do it for very long. I did, I took... Um, like tap jazz and ballet when I was six, seven, like five, six, seven years old. And then my mom said, okay, you have to pick one. I mean, I think it was expensive and mm. it was time. And, and I was taking acrobats and I said, okay, acrobats. Cause that, that seemed the most fun, probably not a great thing for a long, uh, skinny, tall, <laughs> I'm so not the right body for that, <laughs> but that's what I, that's what I did. And so I did gymnastics and stuff through school, but I didn't really, and I, I could clear a dance floor, mm. you know, and I did leads in the school musicals. I was Nancy and Oliver and I sang and I did all this stuff. And then I went to IU, um, Indiana university and I was in the singing Hoosiers. I was a voice major there. And I also choreographed for the singing Hoosiers. I couldn't do a double pirouette, mind you. <laughs> I didn't know any ballet terms. And I, uh, I, I remember like seeing, I remember seeing flash dance and, and seeing like things with dancers and knowing though in my gut, if I had the training that I could do it, mm. but I kind of thought that I don't know. I, I didn't really, I, I remember having a teacher in high school that I loved actually. It was a vocal music teacher say, Oh, you're too tall to be a dancer. Oh boy. Can you imagine? I mean, nobody's too anything to be a dancer. I'm then, too left footed. to be a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> So then I come, I come to New York and I started taking classes. I knew how to work because I had done gymnastics all those years but I had no technique or anything. Yeah. And so I, you know, I started taking dance all the time. So it was my very first production contract was cabaret. And I went to the open call for um, the Broadway company hmm. and I got typed out. Cause I went to the singer's call, um, you know, and they're like, okay, singers. And like, we don't need any singer that looks like her time goes on. Meanwhile, I started dancing and I was just like, where have I been all my life? This is like, this is meant to be. I wonder sometimes if, if, uh, I had had a different path, I might've been in a ballet company and we would have never met and we would have never met. That would have sucked. But during, so then the show runs for a year, come around again, it's going to go on the road. It's going to go on a tour. Well, by then I had done several shows. I'd done shows in Atlantic city. I could tap really well. I had learned to, I could turn now. I had learned quite a few things. Um, and I went into the dance call for cabaret and I remember when I got through the dance call and then it was time to sing. And I was like, yes, 
yes. And then I, you know, I booked it and that was amazing. But later on, I came in and they had kept my picture and resume and I, I could really, I could really dance by then. And I remember the stage manager coming down and going, Paula, you've changed, you've changed. And then called me up and I booked my first Broadway show the last year of the original run of A Chorus Line. And then forward from that, I played Judy Turner on the tour. And then I left the tour, uh, came back home to New York and a phone call comes that they're doing a chorus line at paper mill and they've lost one of their understudies. And would I come in and do it? And it all roles that I'd done before, except for one Maggie, I would never be a Maggie who sings at the ballet, at the ballet, at the ballet, um, just from my pure, my physicality, I would never be a Maggie. Um, but the, the music director didn't know me. And so I had to send a recording to the people that I knew from the Broadway company were not available. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? And then I hear from the music director and it's like, okay, my associate is David Chase and here's this number and call him. And I went over, he was staying in his aunt's townhouse over on the east side in the 30s. And that's when I met David Chase. And I went over there and screamed at the ballet. <laughs> and, and we made a recording. And we said. made a recording. And yeah. he said, you don't have to send it. You know, I'll tell them. You could totally do it. And I'm like, no, send it. They want it. And so then we ended up doing the show together. And we, he would come and talk to me and um, we stayed in touch. And like a year later or so, um, he would send me postcards. He was in Italy doing Lacage and all kinds of things. But I we weren't dating during this time. No, we weren't dating. We were just like staying in touch. And I liked him so much. And then he was playing forever plaid. And I was doing crazy for you. And he was subbing in at the guys and dolls, the Jerry Zacks, uh, Faith Prince, Nathan mm. Lane, guys and dolls down the street. And he, we started going out and we would talk and I was so nervous about it because I liked him so much. And I could tell it was maybe going to go to a different level from being platonic. And I thought, oh, and what if that is bad? And I know we'll work together. And I just, I was really, the stakes seemed so high. I was so nervous about it in a way I'd never been dating anyone. Um, I was really nervous about it. And then one day we were sitting and I had to park my car. You know how you deal with the parking car and you move your car from one side of the street. He's sitting there with me waiting for the parking god. And he leans over and he kisses me and it was lovely. And two weeks later, we were engaged. And four months later, we were married. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the wow. other completely coincidental story there is that I actually had been saving money for the first five years or so. And also I'd been in Boston for five years before that. Oh um, yeah. You made me late for my show. I made late for a show. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I bought an apartment, a one bedroom apartment on 55th street. And this is wait, this is like at the bottom of the housing market. So this apartment, like we couldn't renovate our bathroom for what this apartment cost. Um, that was so smart to do. But yeah. it was but it was April 15th, 1992. And I remember it because it was not only tax day, but it was a day I had to pick up my uh, my keys for the new apartment. And it was a Wednesday. So the fact that I was going to be in Midtown to pick up these keys 
um, I reached out to Paul and, and knew that she, it was a two show day. So, you know, do you want to have dinner between shows um, just to catch up? Um, so we did. And I said, and I have to go pick up the keys to this apartment. Do you want to come with me? So she was actually the first person to walk into this apartment. And we're just friends. We're Mind just friends. you, we're married at the end of 1992. Yeah, but so. at this point, we're just friends. So this is April. <laughs> And we're just hanging out. By August, we're engaged. By December, we're married. So it worked. <laughs> and we knew. We were also old enough, each of us, and, and you know, at that point, that we knew. Yeah, it's true. I always say it's like we just knew. Yeah. It was clear. I had, had not had a relationship where I could see um, more than a year or two down the road, you know. And with David, I... I I was like, yes. And I remember at one point he said to me, this is the last relationship we were sitting. We were sitting on like 76th Street and Broadway in the middle of the boulevard, really late at night. You had your dry cleaning over your shoulder. And you said, this. This, well, I do. And you said, this is the last relationship I ever want to have. And mm -hmm. I said, me too. And yeah. And then that was that. Was that. And I, then I moved in your apartment mm -hmm. and you said, what about your cat? What about my cat? <laughs> so we have cat a cat. Came too. We had yeah. a cat. That, that's amazing. You know, I, I'm so curious to know like um, what that felt like, like literally like viscerally, what, you know, when you, when you know something, I'd love to hear from each of you, like how you knew when, and when you talked about, you guys just knew that you were for each other. If I'm going to be very, very practical about it, I, I was like, oh my goodness, this person is, I think this person is smarter than I am. I was like, <laughs> I was really, there was that. And I, I mean, really it was that, it was that thing of being able to see down the road. I could see down the road. And I remember us sitting in one of those uh, it was a, one of those like Greek diner places and it was on eighth Avenue and we were talking and I felt compelled. And I think we both did this. We both felt compelled to, well, I came from this and I grew up like this and we both like spilled out all it. And it, it was like necessary. It was like, I need, I need you to know this. And he, he did the same, you know, this was, we spilled out all of these things to each other and, I could just, I could see the road stretch out in front of us. Mm. I could see, I, I just knew that um, I felt like in back again, if I'm going to be practical too, like being a, a practical, uh, looking at it from a biology <laughs> point of view, <laughs> like you are good for me and I am good for you. And I knew that we would fill in things for each other. And that's true. You know, you, you get married and you make, you form a corporation and, um, and it's been a, it's been a beautiful thing. And it's, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew because I could see all the way down the road. Mm. David, tell me a little bit, if you will, um, what your sort of um, knowing was with, with, with you guys. Well, I, I know that I am at heart a fairly shy person, but I'm also a very confident person or I'm secure in what I do and what I know that I know and what I 
and things that I know that I don't do well in, I don't dwell on and uh, I don't obsess over. And I, what I, what I think I recognized even intuitively right away is that it was a perfect fit like a glove relationship Mm. that everything that I was lacking or was sort of not, that wasn't part of my regular life she had and she represented and and vice versa you know we've just spent 14 months basically hold up together just mostly the two of us and it's great you know we like to be together we like to be together we're passionate about what we do there are wonderful things that i've been introduced to by her that that i didn't know about and vice versa and we delight in that we strangely come from both very similar and very dissimilar backgrounds. Your dad and my mother, really humble background. They were country people, no electricity, you know, kerosene Mm -hmm. lamps, the whole thing. I feel very lucky that on both sides of the family, there's high value placed on education. Mm. One of the things that, that was very clear to me with Paula is that she loved to read. She was inquisitive. She, you know, all of these things. And so we could have serious, smart conversations together. It wasn't just about uh, the physical attraction. It was the mental attraction as well. Um, And as far as seeing down the road a long way, I think that's a great way of of putting it. I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm remembering this being in Schubert Alley, Probably when I picked you up at the stage door uh, to go for a meal or something, the way that I recall broaching the subject of a longer term relationship was by asking what she thought about having kids, which is a kind of an odd question to ask (laughs) someone you're just dating. Um, What did I say? How did that go? (laughs) Well, we have we have two. So I think it worked. Um, I grew up in a family that was not particularly physical in terms of either, you know, athletic pursuits or just even awareness of physicality. And she is very much all about awareness of physicality and understanding uh, how her body moves. And yet I'm, you know, most of my time, most of my career has been spent with dancers. I love how the body functions, my body just doesn't function like that. So you, you talked about being together during this uh, this long period is unusual for, for all of us, right? I mean, and yes. I, yeah. And I'm just so curious to know, like, it sounds like it was great. I mean, it sounds like you guys love being together, but I, I'm, I'm curious, is there anything that you kind of discovered along the way that you, maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, you know, had you not been sequestered? To be out here for this long and to watch the seasons change, to watch the the world transform, to watch things bud, to watch the leaves fall. Up to this point in our life, we had seen snapshots mm. by having been here for a day or two or three or four. But to be here for 14 months and watch, now we're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. We're watching the continuous reel mm. and, you know, and it's just, it's thrilling to watch. Here's the biologist speaking again, thrilling to watch the natural world go through these cycles. To have, to be able to, uh, all the time, you know, when you have to be at the theater and you're, you know, all the time, every night and that's your whole 
you 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 miss a lot of this. So that's to me that's one of the the things that were we all were we were all on this um, treadmill. We were on a treadmill or a little hamster wheel, yeah. you know, just as fast as we could go, and we got knocked off of it, and it was terrible. You know, it was just you know we were kind of like oh okay, and and then terrified about money and all of that, and then finally you kind of had to at least for us, you know, we had this place. So we were really fortunate and we relaxed into it mm-hmm. and we had our sons with us and for the first, for the first four months, months or so, yeah. four or five months. And, and then you're like, you're planning the dinner and you're cooking and you're, you're eating at, at seven o'clock at night, which, you know, you didn't do before. And, and going to bed at 10 and getting up at six. <laughs> starting which is to get, yeah, starting to get up people. early. And, <laughs> and it was all there and mm. kind of set aside because we've been in our urban life. Um, and not that this is like out on a farm, but just going, I would go and walk every night and I would, re- I realized I'm like, oh, you know what all of this stuff is. You, you know what all these things are and reconnecting with it. That's been amazing for me because it was something that, I, I guess I didn't even really know I missed. Mm. And one of the challenges now is as we're heading back towards whatever normality is, uh, you know, with Broadway's, you know, setting reopening dates and all of that, it's, it's going to be hard to leave this existence. Uh, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've been able to do a lot of, mostly remote work from Pennsylvania um, on, especially on TV stuff um, with the occasional trip into the city to do a recording session or something like that. Um, And there's a part of me that if I could continue to live that way, I maybe would. Mm. Um, I don't know that, you know, I mean, I know Paula is going to perform in, in a show again. Um, Obviously, we can't. Please, God. Yeah. <laughs> we're, but we're too far to do a commute. Um, so, but, but right now, it feels like in Manhattan, we have a very expensive mailbox, um, you know, yes. with, oh with a couple of beds attached. Isn't it interesting, though? I mean, it's it, it's I love what you said about the seasons um, and we experienced very much the, the same sort of thing. But it's, you know, when you talk about. Um, you know, weather was just happening around us all the time while we were working and it was just something we had to go through or that maybe sometimes we'd acknowledge when we were tired and we were like, wow, it's nice. Let's sit out and have a beer. But, you know, winter weather was always like, fuck, it's harder to get to the theater. It's hard, right? I mean, it's like, it was something to get through rather than something that's always there for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and something that was like fighting, like really, I mean, yes, if there was a big snowfall, you'd be like, ooh, ah. Uh, you know, until it's filthy, which doesn't take long in mm-hmm. Manhattan. But what would you say is your um, each of your definition of living in the moment? I think I've only ever lived in the moment in the sense that I've never had grand plans. I've never been the kind of person who said, I have to accomplish this by the time I'm 29 or else forget it. Like I didn't set out to be a conductor or arranger or theater musician it just happened because i enjoyed it so the idea that we can see down we could see down the road is very similar to saying 
I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to be 10 years from now in terms of work, for example, but I'm going to keep doing things that I love doing mm -hmm. and it's going to open doors and it's going to lead places. I guess to me, living in the moment is all about doing what you're passionate about, recognizing opportunity, not being afraid to step through the next doorway into who knows what and to not set it's not about not setting goals but it's not about it's about not setting goals that are unrealistic that limit that you, limit you. Yeah. yeah or that that force you into some narrow path so uh, you know i've i've never mm -hmm. been one to to be to define myself in easy terms mm -hmm. um and i you know if i i may find like i said that I've loved being out here this whole last year. And if we decide that we want to stay out here and change everything about the way we do things, we will. If we don't, we won't. And it's mm -hmm. all going to be good. It's all going to be fine. It'll all work out and it'll all be great in the end. And there is no end. It will just keep going. You know, mm. I can't imagine that, that either of us will ever actually retire per se. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just keep changing what we do. Right. And doing more of it, do it differently. I don't know. Yeah. Keep well, the passion. And yeah. I think we've both been very fortunate to have people in our lives, parents, mentors, teachers, who have said, sure, go ahead. Yep. You know, there's nobody's, I mean, sure, there are people that say, oh, you can't do that. Mm. But you, as long as you have people that, that go, yeah, try. And mm. if you fail, you fail. But you learn by that. Yeah. David, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. I'm just so curious based on what you just, you know, what you've been, mm -hmm. been saying, which is so beautiful. Is there anything that scares you? Like what scares you? Oh. Maybe I guess, well, I would certainly, if I live in fear, it's of something happening to Paula or the boys. Um, but that's not something that I live with on a constant basis. Um, I live in some fear of just net and, fe and fear is not the right word. It's awareness of getting older and what that means for health and what that means for things like mobility. It's like, am I going to have you know, the arthritis that my grandfather had, and that's going to affect the ability that I have to play piano. I, I sure hope not, but I don't live in fear of that. I don't live, I'm not scared of that. I'm just, I think, and this partly comes from, you know, like my dad's specialty is an MD, he's retired obviously, but uh, he, he was in preventive medicine and part of preventive medicine is to anticipate every possible outcome. You can't live making yourself be ready for the only the worst outcomes. You also have to live being open to the best outcomes. But uh, to me, the key is to ask the questions, mm -hmm. not to live in fear of the answers. I think it's easier to live in the moment. When I mean, you were talking, I'm thinking about that. Yeah. to live in the moment, the older you get, because, you know, we do, you know, there are fears and there are things, but there are different fears from when you're young. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you young people, we spend so much time in our insecurities worrying about, oh, I, I should be this or I should be that or I, I need to do this. And as time goes on and you're, you're living your life, I think it's easier to live in the moment because you start appreciating the time and you appreciate your life. And you know that so much can be gone like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be taken from you in an, in an instant. But living in the moment, think of all the bad things about COVID. There was so much that was really, really bad about COVID, but there were really beautiful things, at least for us, for me, in my life. I, I got in the car and drove 13 hours in one long, long summer day where I could do that without driving at night, except at the very end of it. And so drove, that she didn't have yeah, to stay overnight. So I didn't have to stay hotel. overnight anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. just like getting gas and brought my own food and, mm-hmm. uh, went to see my mother um, and stayed with her for 11 days. (laughs) And it was just the two of us and hanging out. And that time is so precious. And I feel like that was living in the moment, making the best of the circumstances of Mm -hmm. what they are. I had no uh, obligations other than to be there and to hang out with her. And it was a beautiful time and I will treasure it. You know, that was... Um, you have to just like take what's, what's given you. And I think it's, I think it's easier. I think it's easier for us. I felt sorry for my kids sometimes through the whole pandemic and they're troopers because young people do adjust, but it's, it's different, you know, it's different from, for them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To have their whole social life interrupted. And my youngest son being a sophomore at NYU. And right now he's supposed to be in his semester abroad. And no, that wasn't happening. And all your classes are online. And I'm very proud of both of them. They both dealt with it all really well, but I, I felt that for them. On the other hand, I was very greedy and happy to have them with us for all that time because when does that happen? When oh, do you yeah. get to have that again? What a yeah. what an amazing blessing that was. And they'll remember that. Yeah. We, yes. you know, make made the best of those things. So, you know, there you have the things that, you know, there are so many things you can't live in fear of anything. Um, but like David said, to be aware, but living in the moment, you just live and you take what comes to you and and enjoy what it is. Try to enjoy. And if you're not, you know, I there have been times you have to adjust your attitude when you're doing something that's hard, you know, or even, you know, even times in, and this is so classic, like back before COVID and we were doing shows and whatever, and you're in a long run and you're tired and it's hard. You have to remember, you have to look at the good things about it. You have to like find the beauty in it. And if you can't, then you got to change it. If you can't, then you, then you've got to leave and you do something else. That's also living in the moment. Mm. You know, if you can't wrap your head around the beauty of something, then don't just stay in that grind. Don't just stay there. Be brave. And that can scare you, but step into something else. It can be done, you know, Mm. whether it's a relationship or a job or, you know, you have to do what makes you happy. Sometimes you have to suffer through something that's a little hard and go through a little pain, but you have to just, you have to do and take what comes to you and take it in joy 
and, um, and proceed like that. Mm. Yeah. Paula, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> mm. I know it's a big one. Um, well, I, most importantly, I want, I want my um, boys to remember me as someone who loved them and cared for them and that when they think of me, they think of things that, that make them laugh. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. What about you, David? And if other people think of things about me and that make them laugh too, that'll be good as well. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David? Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? I'm less interested in being remembered for what I've done and more interested in being remembered for how I've affected people's lives or helped people or mentored or, or educated people. I do enjoy like trying to pass knowledge on as much as possible. And if, if the one thing somebody said was that he was really nice to me or he was respectful of me, you know, that to me means a huge amount. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to tie it into what Paula was saying, I want my children not necessarily whether they respect me or not, I hope they do. Um, I want them to be respectful of people. Mm. And, See, he answers it all serious and lovely. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> why we work. Saw. It's why it, it, I get very serious and very intellectual. Oh, I can be serious too. And she can be serious. <laughs> but she can also be ridiculous. I can be ridiculous. It's just... <laughs> I don't get ridiculous around other people. Uh, okay, okay. So let's let's segue to what's your idea of a perfect date night, guys? Polly, you go. Oh, <laughs> a perfect date night. Yeah. I, I think we've been having kind of one uh, perfect been, date night for, for fourteen months. <laughs> for yeah. months. Well, for twenty-nine years. How about? Yeah. Um, I think whatever it is, it has to involve laughter. Yeah, definitely would have to involve laughter. I think it's just whenever we have time just to like hang and, and be together, I don't even really think about things in that terms, like a date night. Well, we could spend not so much as a date night, but usually in the morning, we can spend quite a bit of time not talking and just making faces at each other. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so it's time to play What Makes You. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm so nervous. Me too. Here we go. What Makes You Inspired? Music. Music is a good answer. Yep. What makes you sad? Death. <laughs> Incivility. Mm -hmm. Frustrated. Incivility. Trump. What makes you laugh? Paula. <laughs> good answer. Life. <laughs> What makes you angry? Paula. No. David. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what makes you grateful? Paula. David. <laughs> My kids. Life. You guys are the best. What are the, oh, one for each of you. What are the top three things that happened so far today? Um, 
I had a great meeting about casting a show in Australia. It's a beautiful day out, and I'm looking forward to actually going and spending some time doing things in the yard. That hasn't happened yet. And I achieved Queen Bee status on the New York Times <laughs> Spelling Bee puzzle. Yes. Meaning that you- I found every single word that they, you, I mean, you, I have to, I can't start the day unless I've achieved genius, which is the highest level of it's. This is true. This is an, this anag- is true. You know, and, and a spelling anagram puzzle. So I have to at least achieve genius level, but queen bee is, is finding every single word that they deem to be an appropriate word. I love that. Amazing. What about you, Paula? I woke up this morning to a beautiful day. Uh, I had my coffee and I'm going to go swimming. Mm. In the lake. In the lake. Mm. Is it warm? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, what are you most looking forward to? Oh my goodness. I don't even know. Mm. I don't even know what I'm most looking forward to. Um, I guess... I guess I'm I'm looking forward to see seeing how everything is going to play out as far as how the um, the pandemic and and how theater is going to reopen. And it's been so long that I'm I'm even I'm wondering like what that's I don't know. It's almost like like I was almost like I was a different person or something before. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be. And I'm really, I, I don't, I try not to think about it too much because then, you know, some things, if you don't do them, you don't miss them. Like maybe the nature thing, you know, if you, it's just not around and winking at you, you're not missing it. But I really, really want to dance with people in a room again. I really do. And I want to sing with people. I want to sing. I want to lean my voice up against other people and harmonize um, without fear. I really am looking forward to when that can happen again. Yeah. Well, since she gave a very wonderful, serious answer, I'll, oh, well. I'll give the silly answer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the delivery of rocks <laughs> <laughs> from the local rock quarry. Yes. Because I'm going to do things with those rocks around the house they're puzzles he puts together puzzles it's, it's of like rocks. arranging music you just like have to figure out how the rocks go <laughs> oh thank you you guys i i really appreciate having you thank, thank you. you it was fun oh great to God. catch up with you i've been speaking today with paula leggett and david chase <laughs> thanks so much for listening stay safe and healthy everyone and remember to live in the moment In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.